welcome to Hot Topics in Kidney Health, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. Join us as we highlight the latest in kidney research, bring you up-to-date news in kidney care, dispel myths, and answer questions to help people with kidney disease or a transplant live well. A new baby is a joy for any family, but pregnancy can put a lot of stress on your body, especially if you have kidney disease or on dialysis or have received a transplant. What do you need to know in order to keep yourself and your child healthy? In this episode, hear important information about pregnancy and kidney disease from transplant nephrologist Dr. Mariana Markle and personal stories from Carrie Maxwell and Katie Reed, two mothers living with kidney disease. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. It's really good to be here today. My name is Carrie. I am a wife and a mom of three girls, and I have stage four polycystic kidney disease. And I'm just excited to be here today to share my experiences with motherhood, pregnancy, everything that goes along with it, and having a chronic kidney disease with you. Hi, everyone. And thanks, Carrie, for kicking us off here. I'm Katie Reed. I'm I'm excited to be here also and share my experience about pregnancy during kidney disease and, you know, talk a little bit about the concerns that I felt when I was pregnant, how that pregnancy went and how things have been going since. And I'm really excited to be able to do that in the context of a conversation with Carrie and also Dr. Markell, who's joining us today as well. Yeah. Hi, I'm Dr. Markell. I want to say from the get-go, I'm not an obstetrician, but I am a transplant nephrologist and and, uh, a general nephrologist, and I've had many patients happily become pregnant, some of them with some more complications than others, which we'll talk about today. But, you know, I've had a lot of experience in women's health and a great interest in that area. So Carrie, how, how was your pregnancy? How did that go for you? So as I mentioned, I have three children. They are currently 22, 19, and nine, and they all three pregnancies were very different. I will just differentiate the first two from the third by saying that I was a lot younger when I had the first two, obviously, <laughs> but also not seeing a maternal fetal medicine, uh, just seeing a traditional OB Uh, not even seeing a nephrologist at that point, um, not being treated for high blood pressure, uh, not being treated for anything. Uh, So um, fast forward to, you know, when I was pregnant with my nine-year-old, now everything has changed. I have a nephrologist. I have a maternal fetal medicine specialist. I'm already on blood pressure medication, and I planned that pregnancy around that medication so I could get on something safe for pregnancy. So that pregnancy was the best experience of my life. I felt amazing. My number stayed, you know, in, in kind of in the good range, didn't have any issues with preeclampsia like I did with my first two. So my question is more around seeing a maternal fetal medicine specialist in conjunction with your nephrologist. And what do you think about that? Do you think someone with CKD should be seeking different kinds of of pregnancy support than someone without? Oh, absolutely. There's no question that that my patients, I work very closely with their maternal fetal specialist. I, I think, you know, it's interesting what you point out are several things that people have a lot of questions about the risks associated with pregnancy 
And if they're different, depending on what stage of chronic kidney disease you're in, and obviously if you're on dialysis or have a transplant, which you know, I think we'll, we'll probably talk about a little bit later. But you know, for the early stages, like stage one or two, when you, you have half of your kidney function or more, and if you have no protein in your urine, it's very important. Things get more complicated if you do have protein in your urine. But in those early stages, the risk may be very small, but I still think it's very important for you to be followed by both a maternal fetal medicine obstetrician as well as a nephrologist. There is actually a normal increase in kidney function that occurs in the beginning of the pregnancy in the first trimester, and the creatinine normally falls during that time. If it doesn't fall, that could be a warning that your kidney function might get worse after you deliver. And also for later stages, like stages what we call three to five, Pregnancy may worsen kidney function, and this is something you really need to speak to your nephrologist about. And it's, I think this is a decision that every woman has to make for themselves. It's not something that someone can make for you how much risk you want to take as far as worsening of your kidney disease. I don't know, Katie, was your experience different? A lot of things you just said resonated a lot. My um, experience was very different from Carrie's, and it was, it was very challenging. You know, first thing is it was a surprise pregnancy, and so I wasn't appropriately prepared for what I was potentially about to walk into. I was in stage three uh, kidney disease when I when I got pregnant. And we had actually talked about trying to proactively become pregnant and, and we're told I wasn't able to get pregnant. And so that's, that's the nature of the surprise. Um, and I'm thankful for that surprise every day. But some of those things you said really, really resonated, I think, because I, I wasn't prepared. I felt very anxious especially early in the pregnancy and throughout the pregnancy. And, and I think that anxiety and the mental health aspect of this is something that we don't talk enough about. And um, you know, something I really uh, had to grapple with on my own for, for the beginning of this pregnancy until I realized I was, I needed help there. But, you know, when you say things like, you know, that sometimes kidney function actually improves or we see an improvement in it during early pregnancy, you know, at first I saw that my, my kidney disease for quite a while was holding stable. And I was really excited about that until I realized that that wasn't necessarily a, a good thing. But I definitely dealt with a lot of, in addition to obviously the anxiety, a lot of anemia issues during pregnancy, and then also did end up with preeclampsia, which uh, ultimately led to an early C-section at, at 33 weeks. And so not to be the, you know, sort of downside on, on this on this podcast, but I am interested in, you know, what are some of those issues or concerns that women might want to be prepared for as they think about pregnancy and kidney disease? I think that that is such a good question. And, and you're right, very often it's not, it's not necessarily discussed. Um, the, for sure, in all stages of kidney disease, and this goes for, for people who have a transplant as well, blood pressure often does get worse. You get worsening of blood pressure, especially around 20 weeks. There's an increased risk of preeclampsia, as you, you uh, uh, mentioned, and, and an increased risk of worsening of anemia. All of these things are very common in, with, with later stage chronic kidney disease and, and even sometimes with transplant patients. The other thing to be aware of is you may have to change some of your medications. Your obstetrician might suggest low-dose aspirin for you, and this is something that you should probably discuss also with your, your kidney doctor. You cannot take mycophenolic acid, which is also known as Celsept or Myfortic, which is sometimes given to people with lupus or other types of glomerular diseases. That absolutely is not approved for pregnancy. And you also can't take your ACE inhibitors or your angiotensin receptor blockers. And those would be drugs like enalapril or losartan. And even diuretics like water pills, 
should be stopped as well. They're very difficult to take during pregnancy unless very carefully monitored by your obstetrician, your, your maternal fetal medicine specialist. The other thing to know, though, is that if you're taking steroids like prednisone or you're taking something like cyclosporine or tacrolimus, which is not only given for transplant, but also for some glomerular diseases, those, as far as we know, are safe to take during pregnancy. So just a few other things. Many people who have late-stage kidney disease are on protein restriction. I'll, I'll ask you later whether this was something recommended to you. This is something that needs to be really carefully monitored. So in addition to a maternal fetal medicine specialist, you probably should also work with a dietitian because there is some evidence that plant-based protein may be beneficial in that setting. So if you have a lot of protein in your urine, say more than a gram, that pretty much will increase all of these risks that we've talked about, especially the risk of preeclampsia. So, so I think that the bottom line is that, you know, with close follow-up with your nephrologist and your maternal fetal medicine specialist, and then if you have diabetes with your endocrinologist, you know, it's, it's very, very important, but that will increase your risk of a good outcome. And the one thing you said that, that definitely resonated with me is that you had to deliver the baby early. Most people who have high blood pressure or protein in their urine will have a baby that's small for the dates that it's born, and also it will be born early. But the good news is they usually don't require any special help to breathe. These babies, because they're stressed in the uterus, actually come out and they're a little more mature, even though they're small and have to go to the ICU very often. So it's just very important, as Carrie pointed out, to have a maternal fetal medicine specialist working with you. I don't know if any of that you know, resonates with you, you know, Katie or Carrie. Yeah, I mean, for me, definitely, I, we did have our son early, like I said, he was small for his size, he was early, but no, he did go to the NICU for a little bit of time, but um, you know, really no, no major concerns. And so that was the biggest relief of this entire process was that at the end of the day, I did have, a, although early and small, a very healthy baby out of the out of the process. Yes, agree. Three healthy babies, all induced, all early, <laughs> um, but all healthy, beautiful girls. So thankful. Thankful for the people that walked alongside me in that. You said something um, in there that just sparked a memory. And um, it makes me think about things that our children will never know that we did for them. And I literally carried a cooler around for 24 hours <laughs> and collected all of my urine with my third. <laughs> and I just think maybe is there, are there things like that that we can talk about that maybe, you, you know, I think there's a, like a mythology to pregnancy and delivery that we get from watching TV and movies. And we think that it's this thing and that's going to go this way. And we, we have our birth plan and, you know, perhaps having, you know, a disease underneath all of that changes the course of that. We have a, an induction we weren't planning on. We have an epidural we weren't planning on or other interventions. Are there things like that that we could, that we could talk about that maybe help normalize going through some of those things and make it more okay, you know, that it's a deviation that some women have to go through? Yeah, I think that, that that's a really good point. Um, as you said, a lot of people have a fantasy about what their their delivery is going to be like based on, you know, things they see on TV where everything works out perfectly. But I, I think it, you know, it, it calls for a very realistic discussion with both your maternal fetal medicine specialist and your nephrologist as far as, you know, what these true risks are. And I think I'm I'm really happy that we're having this conversation because, as you said, a lot of times people don't discuss this. I will say that I have one patient in particular that I can think of. She had two children while she was transplanted. 
the first was a very, very difficult pregnancy. And one of the things about, about transplant that's very important for people to know is that although during dialysis, it's often very difficult to get pregnant because of hormonal issues that occur, as soon as one has a functioning transplant, one can get pregnant. And so we don't recommend that happen within the first year of the of the transplant. And sometimes people are taken by surprise because they've been used to not using birth control and all of a sudden they find themselves pregnant. You know, we also don't want people to get pregnant if they've recently treated for a rejection, or again, if they have high, you know, like a lot of protein in the urine, like more, you know, certainly the recommendation is over 500 milligrams, but certainly over a gram, it, it makes, you know, worsening of hypertension or preeclampsia risk higher. The other thing about transplant is there's a risk of urinary tract infection if you've had a chronic uh, UTI uh, situation. But what to get back to this patient that I had, her first pregnancy was was very complicated and, and uh, she did have a, a, a child. Um, he has some complications, but her second pregnancy, even though she had worsening kidney function, was as smooth as silk with very little high blood pressure and she had a, a normal delivery. So it's very hard to predict what's gonna happen to get back to your question. It's hard to know, are you gonna need a cesarean? Are you... The one thing we can say is that most people do deliver early if they have kidney disease, unless they have relatively normal kidney function with, with just very early stage kidney disease. So I think to prepare yourself is very important. Now, one thing that you may or may not have had, and I don't know, Katie, if this was true for you, Many times the maternal fetal medicine specialist will treat you with steroids to help the baby's lungs mature more quickly if they think you're at risk for a high-risk delivery. I don't know if they did that with you or- I just... did do that. Yep, yep. Actually, I was in the hospital for a full week before I had my son and I was lucky that I was there long enough for that full week for those two, I think it's two steroid injections that allowed the lungs to mature, which um, you know we- credit at least some of that to um, you know the, the healthy baby despite his early arrival yeah that, that that's not a, an uncommon situation and you know as you said the good news is although often these babies are delivered early and they're small they do well the the only situation I'll say where that may not be the case is in the situation of the person who's on dialysis um, I've had a bunch of patients become pregnant while on dialysis and and the majority of them have delivered but the risk of miscarriage and, and I don't want to sugarcoat this, is much higher in a person who's on dialysis. For someone who's on dialysis, it's absolutely imperative that the dialysis unit work together with the maternal fetal medicine doctor. Most of the time, if one is on hemodialysis, one needs to be dialyzed every day or at least six days a week. The, the recommendation is to get the BUN level less than 35 or to get 36 hours a week of dialysis, especially as you progress in your pregnancy. The other thing is that, you know, it's really important to get the fluid situation under control. You can't gain a lot of fluid between treatments because taking off fluid when you're pregnant may put a lot of stress on the developing baby. So, you know, again, I would say it's not impossible and, and quite a few women, especially since we've been using erythropoietin, which seems to normalize hormones a little bit, have been getting pregnant. So it's very, very important to continue using birth control. Even if you think it's gonna be impossible, you don't wanna have that situation occur while you're on, on dialysis and you really don't wanna have that anxiety about a pregnancy it's important to continue birth control even though you're on dialysis and talk to your nephrologist and your obstetrician or your gynecologist about that. 
but otherwise, I think, you know, with a, with a well-functioning transplant or certainly with most stages of chronic kidney disease, the outcomes can be very good. You know, I know, Carrie, you have an unusual circumstance in that your kidney disease is, is a genetic. So I was wondering if you wanted, I'm sure people have some questions about how you handled that situation. Sure. Um, I'll tell you, um, my father was the only person I knew with polycystic kidney disease until I was 40 years old. Um, so that's a very kind of limited perspective, not being, you know, a mother that I could could kind of relate to the process. But I did know it was hereditary and I did know um, being autosomal dominant that there was a 50-50 chance that I could pass it to my children. In my family, um, not uniquely as I have found out, all three of my dad's children um, have polycystic kidney disease. So even though it is a 50-50% chance, that's per child. But we have our own little support club, you know, because of that. So, uh, you know, strength in numbers. But because because of that, you know, I did wrestle a little bit with, um, you know, my first pregnancy was a bit of a surprise, but I did plan my other my other two with, with help. And in the end, my thought process on it was I watched my dad, I watched my dad's life and I, I saw that PKD didn't you know, it wasn't a, a death sentence to him. You know, he did live a full life and did have, you know, three children that he got to watch grow up and get married and have, you know, children and jobs and success. And so just watching his his life and his example and the way he advocated for himself, I took that on, you know, personally. And I, I kind of translate that into my, into the risk of having children of my own. Now, fast forward 20 21 years. Um, last year, we found out that my oldest does have PKD. And so we don't know about the other two yet. Um, but I think the the way we are as a society now is, and, and, you know, some legislation has helped a little bit with this, is we can be a little bit more open, well, maybe a lot more open about what's going on with us physically because of the risk of, of discrimination not existing today that existed when my parents had me. So I'm open and I talk you know, in forums just like this, and I do it in front of in front of my girls so that they can see that you know this is how I'm addressing what's going on with me, and it's with positivity and strength. And so, I I I think yes, it was a thought to me, but it wasn't a thought that that said don't have kids at all of your own, don't have biological kids. Um, I I really just thought we can we can do this together. We can we can figure this out and. Maybe they'll get it and maybe they won't. And if they do, I feel like an educated patient and an educated mom and, you know, I'm ready to help them. Does it break my heart? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't want that for them. But again, I think there are a lot of things that can happen to our children. And I, I just don't view PKD as something that would stop me from wanting to have, have children and enjoy a full life with them. If I could ask you, have you had genetic analysis to know, you know, have they been able to pick up specifically whether you carry certain genes? Because I was going to say just for people who are listening, that there are programs now, um, there are certain genetic uh, markers for certain kidney diseases, not all of them. And even, even polycystic kidney disease can just occur sporadically without a known genetic marker. But for, for people who may not be as, as as understanding and, and as you, there is always the potential of, uh, if, if one has the financial wherewithal, of doing prenatal genetic testing if there is a gene associated with the disease that you have. You were going to say something, Katie? I'm sorry. It's a hard thought process to go through of 
you know, what does this mean? What are all the factors I need to consider in deciding to have children? And, you know, similarly, I have a genetic disease as well, autosomal dominant tubulointerstitial kidney disease, ADTKD, MUC1 variety. And so, you know, again, my son has a 50% chance of, of having this wasn't necessarily something we considered as he was a surprise pregnancy, but we did have to consider that uh, when we went to have another child. And, you know, ultimately our decision led us to adoption for our second mm-hmm. child. So, um, you know, and I think part of that was kidney disease. It was also, I think, you know, much more new to us. I'm, I'm adopted myself. And so we don't understand the family history. And so some of that, you know, just lack of knowledge at the time, um, you know, led to maybe a little more hesitancy on our end, but I think more of it was concerns, you know, being a transplant patient and what we, what I had gone through post-pregnancy, pregnancy being challenging, but then post-pregnancy, uh, my, um, you know, kidney disease really taking a nosedive and, and leading to transplant when my son was two. And so, you know, really thinking about what would that look like to be pregnant as a transplant recipient? What risks am I taking on? And am I willing to you know, bear those risks. And, you know, that's a really hard and personal decision. And and ultimately for us, it came down to deciding to have a second child via adoption as opposed to biologically. So um, I just want to say, Carrie, I I feel you like it's a really hard thought process to go through. And I think it's something that's just so unique to every, every woman, every family. um, And, you know, that, that there are no right answers there. I, I love the fact that you brought up adoption too. One of my children is adopted as well. And I think it's something that should also be a conversation for people who have any sort of chronic disease, especially chronic kidney disease, especially if there's a genetic component, that there is that option. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's uh, for whatever reason, not necessarily raised as an option if, if someone is, it wants to have children and may be uncomfortable with the idea of, of pregnancy. But, you know, one of the things you mentioned was the risks to someone who's had a transplant. And obviously a transplant is very precious. And most people that I know who've had a transplant really don't want to do anything to put it at risk. The good news is, you know, as I had mentioned, if you wait a year following your transplant and you've not had recent rejection and you don't have uh, proteinuria, the risk is relatively small, other than, you know, again, this risk of, of urinary tract infection. If the kidney function is poor, there is a risk of worsening of kidney function. You can't take mycophenolate, you can't take Celsept or myfortic, you can't take rapamycin, uh, sirolimus, not that, that too many people are on that now. And the other thing you have to realize is, in, especially in the third trimester, the dose of the calcineurin inhibitor, cyclosporin or tacrolimus may need to be changed. And it's very important that it needs to be reviewed after the delivery. There is some, you know, some increased risk of rejection around the time of the, what we call the peripartum period, which is probably related to changes in the dose of the, the medication or maybe related to mom brain and forgetting to take doses of medication. It's a little unclear what that is. Um, the other thing to know is that it doesn't mean you have to have a cesarean. You know, Very early on, there was some fear about vaginal delivery when somebody had a, a transplant, but that, that, that is, turns out to be unwarranted. And there's also no increase, known increases of fetal malformations in people who are taking tacrolimus or prednisone. So there's a very large pregnancy registry that's been going on for quite a while now. I will say there have not been any long-term follow-ups looking at the adult children 
of mothers who took immunosuppression. Those are going to, those are just starting now. So it's unclear if there are any long-term effects. There's a little bit of tacrolimus that gets into the baby. The, the levels are tiny and they fall dramatically after the child is born. There's also very little that gets into breast milk because a lot of times I get questions from women who are, you know, taking immunosuppression. Can I breastfeed my baby? The, the, the recommendation is that you, you should not breastfeed if you go back right away on mycophenolate, on Celsept or Myfortic. But if you're taking tacrolimus or cyclosporin, the, it appears that the, the risk, the benefits of breastfeeding probably outweigh the minuscule risk of the tiny amount that gets into the breast milk. On the other hand, there have been some reports of, of women who, who breastfed while taking mycophenolate and there was no adverse out, outcomes, but that it's not recommended. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm not sure whether it was recommended to you or not that you should breastfeed your babies. But, but and again, it's just a very personal decision. And the majority of the transplant patients that I know have not chosen to do so. But for those who really want to, I just want to reassure you that the data suggests that if you are taking tacrolimus, that the tiny amount that gets into breast milk is probably not dangerous to the baby. So, you know, I, I was just curious about your, your postpartum experiences with, with your kidney disease. Postpartum for me was, again, probably unique and, and a little scary. My kidney disease held pretty stable throughout pregnancy, um, right up until about the week of delivery. And then after that, I, uh, like I said, took a bit of a nosedive. It ended up being um, acute kidney injury on top of chronic kidney disease. And so I did recover quite a bit within about three to six months after that, uh, after that delivery. But it took me down far enough actually to be uh, considered stage five and, and evaluated for a transplant at um, three months uh, post-delivery. Luckily, like I said, it came back some. And so I almost consider it a a bit of luck that I was able to go through the transplant evaluation process early and knew what I was going to be up against for a transplant um, and start that process of finding a living kidney donor. So ultimately, I didn't need to be transplanted until two years later, and I avoided dialysis completely by having a, a, a number of living kidney donor candidates lined up over the course of the, the two years before ultimately um, you know, I, I progressed far enough that I needed that transplant. There, there may have been an element, you know, you said you'd had preeclampsia. So, so mm -hmm. very commonly, one of the things that happens is that worsening of kidney function can occur even in people without kidney disease as a component of preeclampsia. And we always say, you know, wait a couple of weeks or, or a couple of months, actually, three, three to six months to see, you know, where you end up uh, because that, that element can recover, although some people unfortunately yeah. do not. Well, I just wanted to say, wow, because definitely I can relate to that story. And uh, it's interesting that you got a preemptive transplant that way. Um, I did, to, yeah. We'll have to share, we'll have to share some notes after, after this. Um, and I know that's in my future. Um, I was more wanting to, to look at um, postpartum for CKD patients that may not have the, the specific drugs that transplant patients take, but I know specifically um, stayed on labetalol as an alternative to lisinopril for a year while I nursed. Are there any other drugs that are pretty common uh, that we should stay away from for, for nursing for CKD patients? I really think that, you know, the even the, the, the ACEs and the ARBs, you know, obviously are the ones that that are not recommended, although that may even just be hypothetical. You know, once once you're nursing, most drugs don't get into breast milk in very high concentrations. So, you know, other than mycophenolate, as we've said before, there's probably not anything 
that I can think of specifically that, that a patient with CKD would be taking. For example, any sort of erythropoietin is fine. It's fine both in pregnancy as well as in the postpartum period. The diuretics are not going to get into the breast milk to really affect the baby much in one way or the other. But I think the most important thing is if you have a question is to, to speak with your lactation consultant or, or a pharmacist, because they would certainly know, you know, if it's a specific drug that, that you have a question about. Again, I think this, this gets to some of, you know, what you had mentioned before as far as, as discussions about women's choices. There's a lot of pressure on women to, to breastfeed, but certainly, you know, I know from my child who's adopted, and I'm sure Katie you do as well, that, that babies do perfectly fine with formula if that's the cho choice that you make. And you shouldn't feel guilty about it, especially if you have some chronic kidney disease and you feel that, that you know, it's either impossible or it might be harmful to the baby. So I think the most important thing is, is to have a mother who's as, as least anxious as possible, if that's possible, <laughs> having had three children myself. <laughs> Yeah, I, that was my experience where, you know, I, I wanted to nurse and I did for the first three to four weeks or so. And, and ultimately, because of the complications, um, it just it just became too much. And I decided to move to formula. And I'm you know, thankful that those options existed. I also would really love to have been able to continue my nursing journey. And, you know, I'm wondering, you know, one thing we hear about a lot as new moms is, you know, different supp supplements we can take for increasing our milk supply. And I'm just wondering if there's anything, Dr. Markel, that we should be thinking about as it comes to, you know, some of the more, I guess, common guidance that's given to new moms around, you know, building milk supply or, you know, supplements. And if there's, you know, anything particular for, for kidney patients that, that we should be thinking about that may be different from other new moms? You know, I don't think anybody has any idea as far as that's concerned. I certainly, as I said, I'm not an obstetrician and I, I wouldn't be able to answer that question specifically. Most of the supplements that I know that, that are popularly used for, for nursing, some of the teas and things like that, would, would probably not be an issue. But I will say as far as supplements are concerned when you have chronic kidney disease, that is an area that I'm very interested in. But you have to realize that some of these products have not been studied in patients who have kidney function that's not perfect. And so we don't know if byproducts will build up in the blood or not. It's very important to speak to someone, again, possibly a pharmacist about that, to see if there's any data before you take any sort of a supplement. And the other issue with supplements is that some of them interact with medications. So if you're taking something like, especially cyclosporin or tacrolimus, but even your blood pressure medications, again, some supplements may have an interaction. So it's, it's not that you can't take them, but you should clearly discuss this with your nephrologist and make sure that these are supplements that, that would be safe specifically. So as far as general recommendations, I honestly can't make any, except to say that that's always a rule of thumb, regardless of why one is taking a supplement. Well, I'd like to say it's really been my honor to hear your stories and your journeys, and I really appreciate your honesty, and I think this is a conversation that we need to continue and keep at the forefront. One thing I've noticed, and I've said this before, is that when a woman gets chronic kidney disease, and especially when she goes on dialysis, she loses her gender, and she's no longer necessarily seen as a woman, but just as a patient with, with chronic kidney disease. And I would like to see that changed. I would like to see more effort made in education about women's health issues and research in that area. And thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thanks, Dr. Markell and Carrie. Great to hear your experience.
It was great talking with both of you today. I appreciate you know, being able to share. I think one thing about women is we always want to tell our stories about our pregnancies and our births and our children. And so let's let's keep doing that. Yeah, and let's remember to give ourselves some grace that kidney disease is hard and pregnancy is hard and the two together are really hard. You know, as much as sometimes I think we, we get down on ourselves, let's remember to give ourselves grace and, um, you know, be grateful for the fact that we can still bring other humans into this world. And being a mom is hard too. (laughs) Being a mom is very hard, very hard. Very well said. Thank you for listening. We love to celebrate your milestones with you. Today, we are wishing a happy transplant anniversary to Mark Amborn, whose new kidney just turned one year old. Happy one year kidney strong, Mark. We want to hear from you. Do you have comments on this episode, suggestions on future topics or guests? Is there a kidney hero in your life that you'd like to honor? Email us at nkfpodcasts at kidney.org. Make sure to subscribe, review, and share our podcast with others. Thank you again for listening. We hope you join us next time. Until then, from all of us at NKF, we wish you good health.